As the 2024 election gets closer, Joe Biden is becoming more and more desperate. And he should be. The world is an uglier and uglier place under President Biden. Nearly no one believes that the country is moving in the right direction. And Joe Biden is clearly an ailing man. He is not with it. Everyone knows it. That apparently includes former President Barack Obama. So according to the Washington Post over the weekend, quote, former President Barack Obama has raised questions about the structure of President Biden's re-election campaign, discussing the matter directly with Biden and telling the president's aides and allies the campaign needs to be empowered to make decisions without clearing them with the White House, according to three people familiar with the conversations. In other words, Barack Obama is telling Joe Biden to outsource his campaign to people who are not Joe Biden. Now, apparently, Obama grew animated in discussing the election. He recommended David Proof, who's Obama's own 2008 campaign manager, to head up Joe Biden's reelect effort. Other Democrats are also deeply worried about Biden's reelect chances. According to The Post, quote, Representative Elissa Slotkin of Michigan, who is running for her state's open Senate seat, has expressed concern to allies she might not be able to win if Biden is at the top of the ticket, according to people familiar with those conversations. And according to Axios, quote, many high-level Democrats think things are not fine. They fear the president's political machine hasn't found the sweet spot between a chill zen and dangerous complacency and has been way too zen. Biden's allies are worried that his base won't show up. That includes Jim Clyburn. You remember Jim Clyburn, the congressman from South Carolina, whose endorsement of Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders basically turned the primary elections in 2020 toward Joe Biden. Here's Clyburn saying that he's worried that voter turnout is just not going to happen for Joe Biden. How worried are you about black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. And I have sat down with President <laughs> Biden. I don't know. I saw those reports. I've also seen at least one report indicating that I have sat down uh, with President Biden. And I did uh, with him. Uh, and I've uh, told him what my concerns are. I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall in order to get to people exactly what this president has done. Guys, don't worry. He's not worried. He's just deeply, deeply concerned. And again, he should be deeply, deeply concerned because 2020 was an outlier election in terms of voter turnout, as we discussed last week. The percentage of eligible voters who showed up to vote in 2020 or voted by mail was 67%. That is like six to seven percentage points higher than in most prior elections. So it's a real statistical outlier. Do you think that Joe Biden's going to get that kind of turnout in 2024? The answer is not based on his performance. So this means that Biden is already turning to his very last messaging refuge. Stop Donald Trump. So last week on Friday, he gave a speech in Valley Forge. That was a weird place to effectively launch your re-election campaign because when you think of Valley Forge, you're immediately thinking of negativity, right? Valley Forge is not a happy place. You're thinking a nation under attack, trying to live through its darkest moments, just about in the shadow of defeat. It's not about hope or about change. It's about soldiering through the winter. It's about George Washington and a bunch of starving men at a fort. It's about gangrene and frostbite. Now, when I think about that stuff, I don't think re-elect success if you're the president and you're running based on your record and you're running based on what a high achievement your first administration has been, opening your campaign at Valley Forge is not exactly an inspiring moment. But we'll get to why Joe Biden picked Valley Forge in just one moment. First, if you're looking to save money this year, but you don't want to sacrifice the quality of life you're used to, PureTalk has your back. Instead of paying your current cell phone provider 60, 70, 80 bucks a line, PureTalk has unlimited plans starting at just 20 bucks a month. You'll get the same phenomenal coverage you're used to on America's most dependable 5G network for just 20 bucks a month, this is how the average family saves over $1,000 a year. It's time to switch to a wireless company that shares your values, a company that is not afraid to invest in shows like this one that doesn't hate your values, a company that is veteran-owned, serves veterans. So what exactly are you waiting for? Switch on over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes. Start saving today. The U.S. customer service team is waiting to serve you. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro right now. You'll save an additional 50% off your very first month of coverage. Again, that's puretalk.com slash Shapiro. You can get connected right now. Again, puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Start off the year saving on wireless with a company you can be proud of and a company, again, that's proud to associate with people like you. And again, you're going to get great coverage. You're going to get great tower network. I've been using PureTalk myself for all my calls. You should do the same. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Get connected right now and save an additional 50% off your very first month of coverage. It's more on this in just one moment. First, 
You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I actually research the show's sponsors because I want to recommend brands I believe in. I can say with full confidence, ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. For starters, ExpressVPN does not log your online activity. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do that. They've even developed a technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. ExpressVPN also uses Lightway. That's a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. I've tried a lot of VPNs in the past that can sometimes slow your connection, but... ExpressVPN is always blazing fast and lets me stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. Not to mention, ExpressVPN, really, really easy to use. You don't need any technical skills to set it up. You just fire up the app, you tap one button, and now you're connected. Even your grandparents could do it. I'm not just the one saying this. It's Business Insider, The Verge, a lot of other tech journals. They rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN on planet Earth. Protect yourself with the VPN I know and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben today. Get an extra three months free on that one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben, expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, a child's life is molded by his or her home, school, friends, community. A positive experience in all these areas helps build a healthy child. Cars for Kids, that's Cars with a K, is a registered nonprofit organization aimed at giving children the tools to succeed in life. If you have a car that's just sitting in your driveway, taking up space, you should consider donating it to Cars for Kids. You know Cars for Kids, they've got that jingle, right? The 1-877-CARS-FOR-KIDS-K-R-S, you know it. If you're tired of looking at that old car in your driveway or hearing your spouse complain about it, why not let Cars for Kids take care of it for you? Here's how it works. Visit their website at carsforkids.org slash Ben. Let them take care of it from there. The whole process only takes two minutes. Cars for Kids will schedule a pickup at a time that's convenient for you. If you don't have a car, you can still help. Cars for Kids accepts non-cash donations of school supplies, clothing, sports equipment, and more. So what exactly are you waiting for? Call now or visit carsforkids.org slash Ben to get the ball rolling today. That's Cars of the K, the number four at carsforkids.org slash Ben. That's carsforkids.org slash Ben. Okay, so Joe Biden shows up in Valley Forge to give this speech. And the entire theme of the speech is going to be how he is like George Washington. And it turns out that Donald Trump is like Hitler. This is the entire theme of the speech and it's going to be the theme of the campaign. So you think that 2020 was a rough campaign? Wait until 2024. We're in it. It has begun. This is the first time, by the way, that Joe Biden has really launched against Trump in the campaign. So he's really been attacking quote unquote MAGA Republicans in the impression that perhaps somebody who is not Donald Trump was going to win the nomination. I think Biden is already figuring I have to define my opponent. Trump is likely to be the opponent. So he launches a full-scale frontal assault on Donald Trump, at least best he can. Now, the optics he picks for these speeches are always a little bit strange. So the optics he picked for his last democracy is in danger speech, which was, as I recall, before the 2022 election. That one was in Philadelphia. He was flanked by Marines in the background and a blood-red Independence Hall. And that is where he declared that this is a battle for the soul of the nation. Well, this time he decided to do a general patent. He's standing in front of a giant American flag. And again, all of this is just a little much. It's a little much. Not the American flag. The American flag is great. But flanking yourself with the American flag while you declare that the people who you are running against are threats to the actual democracy, it's a little bit much. It's a little much. And this entire speech was Biden going full Hitler. It was Biden saying that Donald Trump was a full-scale Nazi. And those who would vote for him, presumably, are little brown shirts. That was the message of the speech. He did not really differentiate between Donald Trump and his followers. He did not really differentiate between Trump's followers and other Republicans. He didn't differentiate between Trump voters who don't like January 6th and Trump voters who do like January 6th. Everybody who would vote for Trump is apparently in that particular camp. And that's a very dangerous play. It's the same sort of play that Hillary Clinton tried in 2016 when she suggested that Donald Trump, again, was the leader of the deplorables. And it turns out that no one voted for Hillary Clinton. People just didn't show up. And so she lost the election. Well, what happens this time when you have an ailing, elderly, fragile old man who has tyrannically used the power of the executive in order to overthrow generations of precedent with regard to what the president can and cannot do, standing up there and declaring that his political enemies are actually enemies of the republic itself. So again, that's why he's at Valley Forge. He wants the dark. He wants the cold. He wants you to feel that. But he wants you to feel that not about his administration, but about Donald Trump. I think that this is a bank shot. I really do. Bank shots don't tend to work in politics. For those who are not familiar with the basketball terminology, a bank shot is when you use the backboard in order to make a basket. In other words, it requires a ricochet. Joe Biden attacking Donald Trump 
as a candidate with reference to January 6th, particularly as opposed to what Donald Trump will do as president or what Donald Trump's agenda is as president. It's not going to play because, again, the date on the calendar as of today is January 8th of 2024. We are now three full years removed from January 6th. And in that intervening time, Donald Trump has not been the president of the United States. For all the talk about how horrible January 6th was, and I think January 6th actually was quite horrible, for all the talk about how January 6th was horrible, it did not actually stop the peaceful transition of power in the United States. It did not. Donald Trump left office on Inauguration Day, and Joe Biden became president. And since then, there have been three intervening years. Since then, there have been three intervening years of this man being president. And he doesn't want to talk about any of that, any of it. He just wants to talk about how Donald Trump is a threat to the republic. And again, this would go over a lot better if this guy himself were not a threat to the republic, as we'll discuss. So here uh, here was Joe Biden launching into his, this really was the launch of his campaign. This is the first piece of his campaign relaunch. Today, we gather in a new year, some 246 years later, just one day before January 6th. A day forever shared in our memory because it was on that day that we nearly lost America, lost it all. Okay, no one who has a brain believes this. No one believes that January 6th, we nearly lost America. It was a riot that went out of control and then was cleared up within three hours. And then the vote was certified by Republicans. And then Joe Biden became president of the United States. Does anyone believe that a bunch of dolts and some people who just didn't know what the hell they were doing walking through the Capitol building was a threat to the very fabric of the most powerful republic in the history of the world? For all the people who are saying that it was a coup, typically a coup requires you to activate the military and to use that military power in order to take control of the levers of power. Did any of that happen? In the actual building itself, was the crowd generally armed with weaponry? They found some knives on people. They find like lots of guns on bazookas, rocket launchers, like what? Again, you you can point out that January 6th was ugly and terrible and was predicated on a lie, which is that the vice president of the United States had the power to unilaterally overthrow the certified election results from states. That wasn't true. It's a bad legal theory. And Donald Trump should never have been pushing that crap. Is that the same thing as we almost lost it all that day? But the here's the thing. The reason that Biden has to say that is because his implication is that if Donald Trump wins the next election, you will never vote again. Do you think that's true? I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true, that if Donald Trump wins the next election, you will never vote again. I don't think, you know, in fact, I know that's not true. I know for a fact that's not true. That is not a reality. He has to, the, the worse his presidency looks, the worse he has to paint Trump as a fascist. So the fact that he's going in January of 2024, like 11 months before the election, the fact that he's already going, Trump is a Nazi, where do you even go from there? How do you build a campaign beyond that? What's worse than Nazi? Like Trump is going to be full on Satan? He can't say that because too many Democrats like Satan. But what, like, where's he going to go from there? I don't even understand. He's starting. This is his starting point. And so here he goes. He's continuing. Whether well, democracy is still America's sacred cause is the most urgent question of our time. And it's what the 2024 election is all about. The choice is clear. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy, put himself in power. Our campaign is different. For me and Kamala, our campaign is about America. It's about you. It's about every age and background that occupy this country. No one believes this. Okay, particularly because the line that he he spouts there, which is he says, Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's literally doing an entire speech about January 6th. The entire speech is about January 6th. Now, again, I may not be amazing with math, but I know how calendars work. And I know that January 6th, 2021 is in the past. And I noticed that you're at Valley Forge and you are citing the past. This is, in fact, the entire shtick of the campaign. So so you being out there saying that Donald Trump is all about the past and we're all about the future is obviously not true. Also, when he says things like, our sacred democracy is at risk. Again, I would take that a little more seriously if I didn't believe that you were willing to overthrow pretty much every vestige of democracy in pursuit of political power. You attempted to use the Occupational Safety and Hazard Administration in order to foist 
vaccines on 80 million people and we had to sue you to stop it. You unilaterally declared that you could get rid of student loan debt after acknowledging you don't have the power to do that. I mean, what, what power has, has this person not tried to arrogate to himself via the executive? Does anyone truly believe that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are deep down devoted, quote unquote, public servants? No one believes that. Again, this would, this would go a lot better if Joe Biden were not Joe Biden, but Joe Biden is Joe Biden. Making the claim that Donald Trump is self-centered is truly, I mean, like everyone knows that. But how is that any different from Joe Biden and Kamala Harris? The last time we had a true public servant as a, as a president of the United States, I'm not sure it's happened in my lifetime. We'll get to more from Joe Biden's campaign launch speech and what it means for his campaign and all the rest. Because again, the situation in the United States is very grim right now. Things don't look good. They look like Valley Forge. When you're the president campaigning at Valley Forge, it's not going to look amazing for you. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I can tell you their coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so... More from Joe Biden's speech on Friday declaring that he was the man standing in the doorway preventing Donald Trump from destroying democracy. Here we go. For the first time in our history, insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer transfer of power in America. First time. Smashing windows, shattering doors, attacking the police. Again, all of these charges would carry a lot more weight if Kamala Harris, her vice president, had tried to bail rioters out of prison during 2020. She tried to bail them out of jail in 2020. And again, anyone who thinks that the January 6th events were even remotely on par with prior insurrections in the United States, like say the Civil War, is out of their mind. That's a crazy talk. Like no one takes the January 6th talk that seriously other than Democrats. Who's he speaking to? Who are the moderates out there who are like, you know, inflation is up 20%. The Red Sea is being overrun by Houthi pirates. The president might fall down at any moment. The secretary of defense literally got lost over the weekend. We'll talk about that in a little while. But I do remember when January 6th was bad. I understand that Democrats want to make this thing like a national holiday and that every year we're going to commemorate January 6th as though it is representative of the great breach in American society. But it really, really is not. It really is not. I think this math works when Joe Biden is not on the ballot. But when Joe Biden is on the ballot, I think it's kind of a tough sell. Then Joe Biden started talking about how he won the last election, which, of course, is true. What's weird, though, is that when he talked about that, he didn't talk about winning the Electoral College, which is actually how you win elections. That was the entire debate of the January 6th rioters and, and compatriots. They were talking about the Electoral College and state certifications and all the rest. Instead, he cited the popular vote, which, again, is a weird thing. That's a weird. We don't decide presidential elections in this country based on the popular vote. A record 81 million people voted for my candidacy and to end his presidency. Trump lost the popular vote by 7 million. Okay, then he suggests that Donald Trump, if he were to lose or if he were to become president again and had the power, he would invoke the Insurrection Act to go arrest all of his enemies. Now, again, that, that is not... When Donald Trump talked about invoking the Insurrection Act, he was talking about to stop actual, honest-to-God riots in the streets in 2020. Here was Joe Biden just... Like, I guess the idea here is that if Donald Trump becomes president, then Joe Biden will end up in jail because Trump invokes the Insurrection Act to, to overthrow state governments or something. Like, what is he talking about? With former aides, Trump plans to invoke the Insurrection Act, Insurrection Act, which will allow him to deploy, which is not allowed to do in ordinary circumstances, allow him to deploy U.S. military forces on the streets of America. He said it. calls those who oppose him vermin. 
He talks about the blood of America as being poisoned. Echoing the same exact language used in Nazi Germany. Okay, so again, Trump is a Nazi. He's a Nazi now. Now, most of us look at Trump and we say, that guy says clownish things on, on the regular. He does. He says very silly things all the time. In the same speech in which he will talk about poisoning the blood of the country, he will talk about how magnets don't work in water. That's about how seriously most people take Donald Trump's actual verbiage. But we're supposed to believe that Donald Trump, who is buffoonish when he speaks very often, is somehow the same person who is going to invoke the Insurrection Act and send federal troops into your home to arrest you if you oppose him or something. And he says this, the, the opponents of the Republic are opponents of democracy, he said, at a, at a rally flanked by a giant backdrop of an American flag as he labeled his political opponents enemies of the Republic. And then, of course, he lumps in all Republicans, right? This is, this is his main shtick. His main shtick is that he is going to lump in pretty much everybody. This is clip eight. It's true. The push and pull of American history is not a fairy tale. Every stride forward in America is met with ferocious backlash many times from those who fear progress and those who exploit that fear for their own personal gain. From those who traffic in lies told for power and profit. For those who are driven by grievance and grift, consumed by conspiracy and victimhood. From those who seek to bury history and ban books. Again, all of this is just such projection, right? When he says things like, the people who fear progress, meaning if you don't agree with him, those are people who exploit fear for personal gain. He's literally standing there telling you if you don't vote for him, the Republic is over. He's exploiting fear for personal gain. He says, from those who traffic in lies told for power and profit, he literally lies about the history of the United States, suggesting that because America has terrible racial history, that means that all inequality today is a form of inequity. He says that people who are driven by grievance and grift and consumed by conspiracy and victimhood are on the other side. His entire coalition is a coalition of the supposed victims. From those who seek to bury history and ban books, they're literally pulling down statues. It's, it's truly an amazing thing. This pitch is not going to work. If this is Biden's final pitch, I just don't see how this connects in the same way that it did even, say, in 2022, when Joe Biden was not actually on the ballot. Right? They say Trump wasn't on the ballot, but neither was Biden. When Biden is on the ballot, is that what you're thinking about? We'll get to Joe Biden in just one second. His actual look, what's actually happening to him? Because part of the problem is the person presenting this message is not a credible person presenting this We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable. But unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that they count toward you know, what you should be eating. Balance of nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in balance of nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's Fiber and Spice Supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. Okay, so the pro one of the big problems here for Joe Biden is that if you were a ringing image of small R republicanism, somebody who believes in democracy, he wouldn't look like a senile, decrepit messenger of a failing administration. But that is what he looks like. So Joe Biden concluded his speech. And one of the big problems they've been having on this campaign and throughout his presidency is that Joe Biden literally does not know where to go when these speeches end. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know where to go. He gets easily confused. And I'm sorry if this is hurting feelings, but it happens to be the obvious case to anyone who has a functioning prefrontal cortex and retinas. Every time Joe Biden finishes a speech, he starts wandering off into walls. It's bizarre. At Shane Gillis's line, which is that he turns into a Roomba at the end of speeches, it's totally true. So what they do now, I'm not kidding. Jill Biden, she actually sprinted up on stage. She sprints up on stage to go grab him by the hand and lead him off the stage. 
So here she was. She sprints. This thing ends. She's on stage like a shot. Here we go. Your sky, your sky I understand power. And he was trying to make a joke about his wife, but he's senile, so it doesn't come off. And he's trying to say that she's the real power. She sprints up on stage. Everyone's like, why is Jill up there? She was in the crowd one second ago. And here's the reason Jill is up there. She has to lead him back. He can barely walk. He's still confused. Like at the very end, he's looking around like, where am I? Where are we going? Will there be oatmeal? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It's sad. I'm laughing, but, but it's sad. It actually is sad that the president of the United States is obviously ailing. He's obviously ailing. And by the way, when we talk about threats to democracy, here's kind of a threat to democracy. What happens when you try to disqualify your political opponent from the ballot? What happens when you sick your DOJ on your political opponent filing no less than four different cases in various jurisdictions, some state, some federal? What, what exactly, what amounts to an assault on the republic? Right now, here's a polling stat for you. Ready? 81% of Democrats believe that states should disqualify former President Trump from presidential ballots, according to a new CBS News YouGov poll. 81%, four in five Democrats believe that Donald Trump should just be thrown off ballots, thrown off the ballots. He's never been criminally convicted of anything. He's not even being charged with insurrection, by the way. In all of the various cases where he's being charged, he is not being charged for insurrection, which would be the thing that would theoretically invoke Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But 81% of Democrats want him summarily kicked off the ballot. Now, poll Republicans on whether they think that Joe Biden should be actually barred from the ballot. I guarantee it ain't 81%. You want to talk about insurrectionist legal theories? So basically, the case against Trump when it comes to January 6th is twofold. And you'll hear both cases made by Democrats, and usually they merge them. One is that January 6th was, in fact, the actual insurrection. It was like a full-scale coup attempt by Donald Trump, which is weird since he was the president of the United States and has the power of the executive to order around the military, which he didn't actually use. So there's that. But the claim is that he incited an insurrection. So the standard for incitement is much stronger than you need to go peacefully protest at the Capitol building. That is not incitement of an insurrection. Two, it wasn't an actual insurrection. It was a bunch of morons who decided they were going to break into the Capitol building while screaming and shouting, one dressed like a weird barbarian wearing buffalo horns. And then a bunch of people who were just kind of following along because the police officers were standing right there and they're walking between the rope lines. So again, that's not to minimize the violence done to police officers outside the building. Those people were arrested. But case number one that they make is that Trump was responsible for the events of January 6th. And I've said Trump raised the temperature. That's not the same thing as being responsible for the actual breaking into the Capitol building. Two is the idea that from November 4th to January 6th, Donald Trump put forward a bunch of specious legal theories that were untrue about election fraud, about certification of state election results, about what the vice president could do in the face of all of that. And the idea is that that's insurrection. The specious legal theories put forward into law is an attempted insurrection. And this is the other case that you'll hear Democrats make. What do you call it when you activate state players in various states to literally remove your political opponent from the ballot without a criminal conviction or investigation of any sort? What exactly would you call that? Because if A is insurrectionist activity, then B clearly qualifies as insurrectionist activity. So which is it? You want to talk about threats to democracy? It seems to me like barring your political opponent, the presumed nominee of the opposing party from the ballot, that seems a little insurrectiony. That seems a little non-democratic. And yet this is what Democrats keep saying. By the way, when, when Joe Biden says things like Donald Trump is a threat to the republic and that January 6th was in fact an insurrection, he's agreeing with that legal theory. When he suggests January 6th was an insurrection and that Donald Trump is responsible for January 6th, he's agreeing with the legal theory that says Donald Trump needs to be barred from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Well, here is Washington, D.C.'s Mayor Muriel Bowser, who can't stop crime, but certainly wants to stop Trump from being on the ballot, talking about Trump being booted from the ballot. Do you think he should be barred from any ballots given his actions on January 6th? Well, I support every state taking very aggressive action um, to, to keep him off the ballot. Uh, he is undergoing, uh, you know, court action across America. Hey, that's amazing stuff. Meanwhile, the Colorado secretary of state who's responsible for barring Trump from the ballot there pending Supreme Court litigation. She says, I'm not disenfranchising anyone by barring, you know, the leading presidential candidate for the opposing party from the ballot. Do you think that there's a risk here of disenfranchising voters? 
I think the biggest risk of disenfranchising voters happened on January 6th when Donald Trump tried to steal the presidency from the American people. Make no mistake, that is exactly what he intended to do. Uh, we are a country of laws and of constitutions. There are qualifications for office. Uh, so, for example, if a lot of voters wanted to vote for Arnold Schwarzenegger, they wouldn't be able to do so because he is disqualified from running for president under the United States Constitution. But don't worry, she's not disenfranchising anyone because he's actually disqualified. Little anti-democratic, you might say, not allowing people to vote for, you know, your political opponent. That's exactly how Trump is responding to all of this. He says, uh, you're calling me a dictator. That's rather insulting since, you know, I left power. We got to beat this guy, this fool, this fool that's destroying our country. <laughs> Donald Trump is a dictator. Can you imagine? Donald Trump is a dictator. I'm a dictator. All I want to do is have a great country. I want to have great. I don't want to be ripped off with trade deals. I don't want these countries just ripping us. And boy, we had it stopped. We did USMCA. We did the greatest trade deals ever. But all I want to do is have a great country. Low taxes. We did the best tax deal ever. Bigger than the Reagan tax deal. You know, we just want to have a great country. He says I'm a dictator. It's so insulting. You know, actually, it's insulting. But he's a, a threat. You know, they call, he's a threat to the... To, he doesn't even know what the word means. He's a threat to democracy. Okay, and then he says something that's true. He says, you can also be a threat to democracy by being grossly incompetent, which is what Joe Biden actually is. Trump is not wrong about this. And here is the problem for Joe Biden. If things are going well, Joe Biden would not have to resort to this sort of attack. But he has to now. And that's because he is grossly incompetent. You know, this guy goes around and says, I'm a threat to democracy. No, he's a threat because he's incompetent. He's a threat to democracy. You know, you can be grossly incompetent and be a threat to democracy because he's got us into wars. We're in wars now. You look at the Middle East. Look at what happened in Ukraine. That would have never happened. These things would have never happened. Inflation would have never happened. The attack on Israel would never happen. The attack on Ukraine would never have. All these things would never have happened. Again, that is going to be Trump's strongest argument. Trump's strongest argument is Joe Biden is a bad president. And Biden's apparent strongest argument is Trump is Hitler. Now, the media are going to try and run this one up the flagpole, like all the way up the flagpole. So Jonathan Capehart is really doing yeoman's work on behalf of the Biden administration from MSNBC. He had on Michael Fanone, who's one of the officers who was attacked during January 6th. I mean, the media jumped into action, by the way, on this thing, like super fast. The minute that Biden gave the speech, they immediately went into January 6th mode, which was like, crying actual real tears on TV about January 6th, which again happened three years ago. Here's Jonathan Capehart literally crying on TV about this. Joining me now in studio is Michael Fanone, former D.C. Metropolitan Police Officer, Courage for America Council member, and author of Hold the Line, The Insurrection and One Cop's Battle for America's Soul. Officer Fanone, I'm going to try to get through this. Um, thank you for what you did three years ago today. Um, please tell me your thoughts um, on this third anniversary. <clears throat> um, we are uh, still in the midst of the, the same fight that began uh, on January 6th, 2021. I think my favorite part about that clip is where Fanon literally has to change his affect. He starts off like, okay, this is going to be like a normal interview. And then after Jonathan Capehart starts crying, he's like, okay, I also have to get, like, we're going to have competitive choking up here, uh, being, being very, very upset about, about January 6th. Come, really? Like, really? Like, shedding hot tears about January 6th in 2024? Truly? Like, of all the things going on on planet Earth, that's the, that's the one? Really? Again, what this is going to come down to, if this is a battle between Biden calling Trump Hitler and Trump calling Biden incompetent, I'm sorry, Trump's going to win. He is, because guess what? Biden is incompetent and Trump is not Hitler. You can dislike him. You can think he's a clown. You can think he's a fool. You can dislike his rhetoric. You can think he's toxic. The number of people who believe, truly believe that Donald Trump is Hitler, that number is relegated to very, very blue cities. I know I used to live in one. And some people there actually believed that while they were sitting outside in the sunlight in Santa Monica, drinking their sparkling wine while Trump was president. Like it's just, it's, it's an absurd contention. If the battle is between the accurate definition of your opponent, 
Donald Trump's definition of Joe Biden as incompetent, bad at his job, borderline senile, and Joe Biden's portrayal of Donald Trump as a full-scale Hitlerian threat to the Republic, like a Nazi, only one of those is kind of accurate. In just a second, we're going to get to the incompetence of Joe Biden because, again, every week it just seems to get worse. We'll get to that momentarily first. Dan is not the only guy we go to when we have computer problems or questions here at The Daily Wire, but he also served our country. One of the great things about Daily Wire is we love hiring veterans. There's no better place to look than Zip Recruiter. According to Forbes, January is the hottest month for hiring, and business owners and hiring managers are on the hunt for top talent, which is no easy task. If you are currently hiring, you can probably relate. It's challenging to find qualified candidates. That's why you need Zip Recruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for your roles fast. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you candidates whose skills and experience match it. To encourage top candidates to respond to your job post even sooner, ZipRecruiter lets you send them a personal invite to apply. And as you rate those candidates, ZipRecruiter will send you more of the ones you like from the thousands of new job seekers who join the site. They make it super easy to find all the best talent to fill all your roles. See for yourself why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now. Try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Also, start 2024 off right. The fight to reshape our culture has never been more crucial at The Daily Wire. We are leading the charge. In 2024, your Daily Wire Plus membership will give you more of me, Matt Walsh, Candace Owens, Michael Moles, Andrew Clavin, Jordan Peterson, PragerU. That's just the beginning. We have all sorts of amazing content coming for you, and it's an election year. You need to be on top of it. There's no better way to follow the election than with Election Wire, our exclusive election coverage. That'll be your source of truth, bringing you everything from the campaign trail to the debates and Election Day. We have tons of great content coming, election content, entertainment content. Go check out dailywire.com right now. Go check it out right now. We need your support, so go check them out right now. dailywire.com slash subscribe. Okay, meanwhile, so how incompetent is is this White House? They're losing cabinet officials like my wife loses her cell phone. Like, it's crazy. Both of those things. My wife loses her cell phone like literally all the time, like at least multiple times a day. We've joked before that when it becomes available, we we will chip her like a cat so she doesn't lose her cell phone. But Joe Biden needs to be chipped with his administration officials or something because they just go missing for like significant periods and no one notices. It's crazy. So you remember when Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg took paternity leave to help his ailing husband who had just given birth for a couple of months and no one noticed. He was just gone for like two months. Everybody's like, well, uh, where's Pete? Mm -hmm. Well, now this is way worse, by the way. This right here is way, way worse. Apparently, Lloyd Austin, who is the Secretary of Defense. Now, you may notice the United States is currently engaged tangentially, but fairly seriously in two incredibly serious conflicts. The war in Ukraine, where the United States is, in fact, coordinating with Ukraine, trying to provide military aid and support. And what is going on in the Middle East, where the United States, in some cases, is directly engaged. We have right now aircraft carriers and battleships in the Middle East, in the Red Sea, in the Mediterranean. We've, we've been shooting down Houthi drones. We have been shooting down pirate ships, like the, these little inflatable boats that are being used to attack shipping. Right now, the United States has troops that are in harm's way in Syria, in Iraq, that are being fired upon by Iranian forces. So it makes a bit of a difference where the defense secretary is. Like this stuff is happening in real time. So here is the problem. According to CNN, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks, the Pentagon's number two leader, was among the senior leaders kept in the dark about where the hell Lloyd Austin was. So he checked into the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center following complications from an elective surgery. And then he was just missing. And no one knew. According to Politico, the Pentagon did not tell President Joe Biden and other top officials about Defense Secretary Austin's hospitalization for three full days. According to three U.S. officials who are in the middle of all of this conflict all over the world, Really, it's a spicy time in foreign policy. And the Secretary of Defense just goes missing for three days, and Joe Biden does not know. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan and other senior White House aides did not know of Austin's January 1st hospitalization until the DOD sent over word on January 4th. The official said it was highly unlikely Austin had conveyed word to Biden before Jake Sullivan was briefed on it. If Jake didn't know, no way the president knew, said one of them. Who would have told him of Austin's condition if not Jake? If someone did tell the president, Jake would have been his first call. Biden held a cordial conversation with Austin on Saturday night per one of the U.S. officials. 
The president has complete trust and confidence in Secretary Austin, the official said. But as the news of Austin's situation came as a shock to all White House staff, they were unaware the Pentagon boss was dealing with complications following an elective medical procedure. National security staffers were surprised it took the Pentagon so long to let them know of Austin's status. The Pentagon did not make that information public until Friday evening. They notified Congress about 15 minutes before they released a public statement. Austin said, quote, I could have done a better job ensuring the public was appropriately informed. I commit to doing better. But this is important to say. This was my medical procedure. I take full responsibility for my decisions about disclosure. Uh, then you need to resign, probably, because that's crazy. Apparently, he was in the ICU for four days, for four days. On Friday evening, as many people were turning toward their weekend, DOD spokesperson Major General Pat Ryder announced Austin had been hospitalized since January 1st. His deputy, Kathleen Hicks, partially assumed some of his duties during that time. But there's one problem. CNN is now reporting that actually she had no idea where he was. So from January 1st, which again was a Monday, until Thursday, she did not know where he was. So there was no one at the top of the Pentagon in a time of conflict and war. People are assuming the Secretary of Defense at his desk doing his job. Nope, he's in the ICU. The number two has not been informed he's in the ICU. So she's probably not even receiving the updates he should be receiving. This is crazy. That's totally wild. Why exactly would this happen? Apparently, it was because Austin is supposedly too macho to let anybody know that he went in for an elective procedure and ended up in the ICU. But that's a terrible reason. Like You still have to let people know when you are missing. Producer Zach, not in today. He told us, and then he didn't come in because that's how it works when you're sick. When you go to the ICU um, for four days and you are the secretary of defense, you don't even let your number two know? What in the actual, what the, what, what? That's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, that's totally insane. Apparently, these number two, where was she? She was on vacation in Puerto Rico at the time, and she was not informed of Austin's hospitalization until the afternoon of January 4th. At that point, Hicks began to make contingency plans to return to Washington, D.C. on Friday. But because Austin was expected to return to his full duties, albeit from the hospital, she decided to stay in Puerto Rico to ensure co continuity of communications. There are all these people around the secretary at all times who manage him and help him on a day-to-day -day basis. No one even told the White House that one Pentagon official. I'm surprised that no one is using the word cover-up yet. I mean, it is obviously a cover-up. Like, what the? Wow. Wow, that's crazy. According to Politico, someone's head has to roll. But it's not going to be Austin's. I'm sure it'll be some low-level aide who was told, you need to tell my number two. And then the number two never got told, so the low-level aide ends up without a job because that's the way it usually works in Washington, D.C. The higher-up shuttles all the, the responsibility down to somebody lower down. That person gets fired, and, uh, and that's the end of the story. The White House and Pentagon insist Austin's job is not in jeopardy. But they're sticking to that line, despite not even knowing what's actually been going on at the Pentagon. The precise nature of Austin's surgery, medical complications, even his current condition remain unclear. Senior Defense Department and White House officials still don't even know the details of the procedure. Totally insane. Totally, totally crazy. Okay, so no one's in charge. The president is not in charge. The Secretary of Defense is not in charge. Number two at the Defense Department. They don't even know the Secretary of Defense is not in charge. So things are going amazing. Meanwhile, over on the border, we now have some new stats. According to data released by the Biden administration, the Department of Homeland Security, they say that 2.3 million migrants have been allowed into the southern border, according to DHS. Now, I don't know if that number is real. That number seems low to me. It does. The reason that seems low to me is because at least 6 million border apprehensions have taken place since Joe Biden took office. To put that by way of perspective, during the entire four years of Donald Trump's administration, there were 1.6 million border apprehensions. By the way, an apprehension does not mean that the person is then turned away and sent back home where they came from. A border apprehension means they pick you up, they take you to a detention facility. If you claim asylum, then they release you into the country within 72 hours of the date to come back for some sort of court date. That's literally what it means. The period of time between when you arrive in the country and are picked up by Border Patrol and when you're released into the interior of the United States is usually within a week, well, always within a week, and usually within 72 hours. So when they say two, only 2.3 million people have entered the country, I have serious doubts that that number is accurate. I think that number is way, way higher. That also does not include the estimated 1 million gotaways, people who just went into the country, smuggled drugs into the country, or entered between ports of call and, and were not picked up by Border Patrol. 
And apparently, known Godways only represent maybe, I mean, they really don't know because they don't know how many unknown Godways. They estimated the CBP that it's like 60% of all Godways are known, which means you're talking about another 800,000 unknown Godaways, theoretically. So you're talking about nearly 2 million people who've gotten into the country as Godaways. And you're talking about, according to DHS, 2.3 million. So that's 4.1 million. That's a lot of people. And by the way, the numbers are way higher than that. There's no way it's only 2.3 million people. A DHS spokeswoman said Saturday, the agency continues to deport significant numbers of unauthorized migrants, including family. But is that reality? I really, really doubt it. Again, all you have to do is look at the charts. The charts are insane. In December of 2020, which is the last month of Donald Trump, full month of Donald Trump's presidency, you're talking about approximately 80,000, 75,000 border apprehensions. By, by March of 2021, when everybody now realizes Joe Biden's in office, you're looking at north of 175,000 border apprehensions. Like more than double. And then in December, this last December, 300,000, apparently. These are insane numbers, obviously. And it's a real border crisis. So it's not just that it's a crisis at the border. It's that everybody knows it's a crisis at the border. So according to a brand new CBS News YouGov poll, 45% of Americans say what's happening at the border is a crisis. 30% say what's happening at the border is very serious. 18% say that it is somewhat serious. So you are now up to, by those numbers, 93% of Americans say that it is at least somewhat serious. 75% say a crisis or very serious. By the way, it's a crisis. Only 7% say not much of a problem. Hey, that is, a, that is an astonishing number. According to that same poll, immigrants in your local area have been 40% increasing, 35% haven't noticed, 25% decreasing. As far as whether people believe that the Biden administration should be tougher, should be easier, or is handling things right. 55% said should be tougher in September. It is now 63%. Two-thirds of Americans believe that Joe Biden should be tougher on the border. Only 16% say that Joe Biden should be easier. And the 21% who say they're handling things right obviously doesn't understand what the hell's going on at the border. By the way, what's actually going on at the border is two things. One, Donald Trump's Remain in Mexico policy was ended. So when people come to the border and they claim asylum, by American law, they're now put into the system. It used to be Donald Trump had negotiated a deal with the Mexicans to keep people who applied for asylum in Mexico awaiting their border hearing. This cut down on illegal immigration by a huge margin because a lot of those people get turned down. And if they're waiting in Mexico, they have no entry to the country. Day one, Joe Biden ended that policy. So instead, people come. They immediately say, I fear for my life in my home country. The United States takes them in, processes them, and releases them into the general interior of the United States. That's all you have to do. Just say, I fear to go back to my home country under America's current asylum rules. Number two, because the United States refuses to detain full families together under the Flores settlement, and because the United States refuses to do remain in Mexico, all you have to do is show up with a kid and basically you're going to be released into the interior of the United States. Joe Biden ended every policy that would have prevented mass illegal immigration. By the way, the cartels know this. The cartels have been redirecting American resources toward this wave of illegal migrants that's why they're doing it. And then meanwhile, while the Border Patrol is acting as a busing and ferrying service for illegal immigrants, all of the godways that we're talking about, drug smugglers, criminals, those people are just entering between these points and just rushing into the interior of the United States. And Border Patrol isn't there. It's not that we require more Border Patrol agents. It's that the Border Patrol agents we do have are basically acting as DMV agents at this point and members of the local Metropolitan Busing Authority, as opposed to, you know, actual Border Patrol agents. Here's some images of... Um, a breach in the border wall in Arizona. The, by the way, the, the way that you breach the border wall is um, if there are no border patrol agents around. If there are no border patrol agents around, you can just cut a hole in the wall, which is what they're doing. So here's some video of illegal immigrants streaming through that border wall. This would be on Thursday. You can see people just walking right on through. Here we go, in the United States. By the way, even if they're caught at this point, border patrol, then ask them, what are you doing here? And they say, I fear to go home to my country. And then what happens? They're processed and released into the interior of the United States. That's the way that this works. Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, he says, yeah, of course, this is a border crisis. That's why we are trying to focus in on it. So what happens, Mr. Speaker? Um, no, no money for Ukraine, no money for Israel, no money for Taiwan and uh, no fix for the border. I mean, how does this get resolved? What are you thinking? 
Well, well, we're thinking that the White House has to come to its senses. They're getting pressure from even Democrats, of course, the, the mayors of these big sanctuary cities and blue states that are crying out for help. They know that it's not sustainable. They're draining all their resources there. We have uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle who understand that this is a crisis that must be resolved. So I am optimistic and hopeful that they'll listen to the American people and make the necessary changes in policy to get this done. I hope the Senate will take up our legislation, H.R. 2, and do the right thing, the common sense thing, to fix the problem. Amazingly enough, the leader of the sane opposition on this point is John Fetterman. I don't know what happened to John Fetterman. He's turned into Kirsten Cinema. It's amazing. Here's John Fetterman over the weekend talking about the border crisis. And allies admit there's a crisis at the border. And uh, I don't know how anybody could pretend that there isn't. Correct. Everyone knows this. Everyone knows this. But Democrats are so tied into the idea that there must be mass migration, mass illegal migration, that they are refusing border funding if it even means changing the asylum rules. That's what's so crazy. The single thing that is the biggest magnet driving people north of the border is this idiotic rule that if you claim asylum with no evidence whatsoever that you are being oppressed in your home country, other than your home country just kind of sucks, you are immediately admitted. So Republicans have been saying, okay, why don't we do a few things? Why don't we, number one, do remain in Mexico? Number two, If you claim asylum, we have to establish at your initial hearing before we release you into the United States that you are likely to prevail in that claim for asylum. You can't just say the magic words and then abracadabra, all of the doors open. Democrats oppose this. Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, he says that they would not even accept more funds if those funds were used for deportation. When you say that Republicans won't accept the extra funding, they have a problem with the funds being used to release and transport illegal immigrants around the country. So Congress is listening right now. Would you accept the extra funding on the condition that the funds could only be used for detention and removal, but not release into the country? Uh, Brett, the funds are needed to provide the Department of Homeland Security with more border patrol agents. The funds are needed to provide the Department of Homeland Security with more technology. The funds are needed to provide our department with more detention space, to provide the Department of Justice with more immigration judges. What he wants is more money to broaden the spigot, allowing more illegal immigrants into the country. Why? Well, because AOC, she says the quiet part out loud. She says there are two ways of shutting down illegal immigration. One is you close the border. The other is you prevent anyone from saying these people aren't illegal. You just say these people are illegal now. You just ended illegal immigration. By this token, by the way, I can end all murder in the United States by legalizing murder. Right? Watch. Abracadabra. Murder is now legal. So I guess that no illegal murder is taking place because all murder is legal. That's basically what AOC is suggesting here just with regard to immigration. Here she goes. From all parts of the political spectrum, one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall, or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll have folks that might say, look at these systems, you know, that our shelter system has weight and things like that. But one of the reasons that our public systems experience weight is because people don't have a documented and reliable path to work and sustain themselves, just like all of our ancestors did and our and our grandparents. Yeah, the difference is that when our great grandparents came to the United States, there wasn't a giant welfare system that was in place for public support of people who came here without any job prospects whatsoever. Also, because of that, people were forced to assimilate much more quickly. When my great-grandparents came to the United States in the early 20th century, they all spoke Yiddish. None of their kids did. Why? Because the markets did not bear people speaking Yiddish particularly. Learning English was like a major, major aspect of this. It turns out that markets are a great way to make people assimilate to American values because if you would like to live in a market-based economy, you actually have to cater to the customer. But when you get rid of that entire system, and then you declare there should be open immigration, of course what you end up with is a multicultural stew in which nobody actually assimilates. But she's saying the quiet part out loud, which the Democrats do want an open border. So again, when we're talking about open border, not a great economy, and say DEI all over the administration versus Donald Trump is a fascist, which one of those do you think is, is more damaging politically? So 
When it comes to DEI, this administration has declared itself in favor of equity at every step of the American experiment. This administration says that, in fact, equity motivates all of their policy, apparently, including immigration policy, which is why we're just going to open the border wide. Well, I have to say, one of the great exchanges I've seen recently on television happened over the weekend. Raihan Salam is a, an author and write, he writes over the Manhattan Institute. He was on with Jonah Goldberg. And on the other side of this debate were a couple of wild lefties, including Kara Swisher. And they were talking about DEI. And Raihan, who is not a white American, is in fact a minority American. He'd be mumped into the people of color category. He just goes off right here and it's pretty spectacular. When a person of color fails, all of a sudden it's an indictment of an entire system that the right doesn't like. This is so ridiculous. She was a graduate of Exeter and Stanford with a PhD from Harvard. And do you know she, why? Second you generation, so second generation Haitian American who came from a family that dominated the concrete industry right, in right. Haiti. She was not the wretched of the earth. She was someone who should no. be judged on her merits. Wait, and I'm her sorry, chief black qualification. Have to be wretched? No, absolutely not. But she was selected because she established the Office of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging at Harvard. She presided over a steep decline in the free speech climate. Okay, let, and she also right. targeted right. minority professionals. Go ahead, Lolo. Who dissented from her perspective. That no, was a problem. That. She was uh, a Ryan person Ryan. with ideas, not Ryan. someone who belongs to the Democratic He's exactly right about all of that. But again, the diversity, equity, inclusion shtick, that is the Biden shtick. So again, you have lined up on the one side, Donald Trump's a fascist Nazi. Well, or in Joe Biden's words, and on the other side, you have Joe Biden is doing equity. He's doing illegal immigration. And by the way, he's doing complete supply chain failure. So the Houthi attacks on shipping continue across the world. The cost of shipping has markedly increased. You can look at this chart from Axios. And what it shows is the average shipping container rates for particular routes. And what you see is they have jumped, spiked dramatically toward the end of December. Why? Because that's exactly when you started seeing Houthi attacking shipping in the Red Sea and the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. In fact, what you see is that the cost of shipping from the Asia Mediterranean, from Asia to the Mediterranean areas, jumped wildly from like a little bit over $2,300 a container to $5,100, like doubled. When you look at shipping from Asia to the North American East Coast, right, that's stuff that we care about, the cost of shipping went from what looks like about $2,300, $2,500 to $3,900. That is a massive, that's per container. Who bears that cost? You bear that cost. We all bear that cost because Joe Biden is allowing the Houthis to basically gum up the works in the Red Sea and in the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. Why? Because Democrats keep hoping that, well, you know, if we're sweet and if we're nice, then things aren't going to escalate any further when it's precisely the opposite tack that actually gets things to calm in the Middle East. When you want to calm things in the Middle East, you know what you do? You make clear that if you screw with the United States, things go real bad for you. That's the actual way you calm things in the Middle East. It's why everyone in the Middle East was afraid to start up while Donald Trump was president because they thought that guy's nuts. That guy's crazy. He might just fire a missile at my house. I don't know. But with Joe Biden, it's like, oh, I don't know. Should we touch the Houthi? Should we not? Maybe we should remove an aircraft carrier from the Mediterranean. Why do you think this thing is lasting as long as it is with regard to Hezbollah? Hezbollah just keeps firing anti-tank missiles into northern Israel. Why do you think they're doing that? If the United States said, listen, one of those missiles goes awry and it hits an American and you will not exist tomorrow morning, which is true. That's actually the reality, by the way. That is what would happen. If the United States said that, if the United States said, if you raise your rate of fire above X and you just won't exist tomorrow morning, you know it would stop tomorrow morning, that. But Joe Biden is too cowardly to do any of this. So instead, you have Jennifer Granholm, who is out there declaring that, you know, they kind of hope that things are going to calm down. They're not sure exactly if they're going to calm down. Not going. This is Secretary of Energy talking about how, you know, shipping will probably get better, even though Maersk is now saying that they're going to completely avoid the Red Sea, which, of course, creates a supply chain bottleneck. What will it take to actually ensure that ships can go through that area? How complicated? Well, obviously, yeah, there has to be this coalition effort. I know that many commercial um, uh, shippers are really not just, they're doing what Maersk has decided to do, which is to uh, circumvent the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And that may add some price to uh, to energy in terms of how long it takes and how much more fuel it takes to get those shipments around. But this coalition and the active, not just monitoring, but um, but 
insertion of both uh, sanctions as well as um, lots of discussions behind the scenes. Uh, I think we're going to hopefully uh, if it doesn't escalate further, we'll be okay. Hopefully, if it doesn't escalate further, you know whose responsibility is to make sure it doesn't escalate further. Might be your administration's responsibility. And herein lies the problem. They don't want the responsibility. They just want to yell about Donald Trump. I don't think that that's a great reelect strategy. I just don't. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into the latest on the economy. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today. <laughs> 